Welcome to Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs and Tech Professionals. I'm your host, Mike Morton. And today we have Megan Russell, who's becoming just a regular on the show. It's so good to have you joining us again today. Megan has worked in finance most of her life. She is the Chief Operating Officer for Murata Wealth Management, MuradaOnMoney.com. She's written over 700 articles. I think it's 800 to 1,000 by now for sure. <laughs> Megan, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to be here. Yeah. Today's topic is a continuation, right, of our series. And we've been getting really good feedback on the series. So if you haven't listened to the previous shows with Megan, go back and check those out. It's all about aligning your spending with your values. And so it's a customized budget for you, what makes sense in your life to be spending now and in the future, what we call savings for spending in the future. And so we've had a lot of great discussions on this. And today's topic is a continuation about that around how to spend less money. Now, I don't want people to turn it off now. No, you can't tell me to spend in money. That's not what we're saying at all. And again, if you go back, it's not about stop spending money. It's just spending the right amounts of money for you to bring you the most joy in your life aligned with your values. Megan, what are some of the things that we're going to be talking about today? Spending less money. Yeah, so spending less money, it definitely has to be put in the context of everything that we've been talking about so far. So if you've missed the first ones in our series, definitely go back and listen to them, especially the first one, because you don't want to start with spending less money. You want to start with figuring out what your money is for. So if you've been following along in our series, hopefully you've done some of the exercises and you've figured out where your joy is. What is your money for? What's that core of your budget? And then you also, by extenuation, know where the edge of your budget is. What are the things that you could take it or leave it? You could spend less. It would be fine. And really, today's discussion is going to be a bunch about that outer fringe. How do you spend mm. less in the things that aren't the core of your budget? So if the core of your budget is eating out, you should keep eating out. Don't apply all of these principles to that budget unless the principles bring you joy in that budget. But maybe on the outer edge... Maybe you have some things that, yeah, you spend money there, but it's just not super joyful. These principles are where you can help hack back that spending and make it so that you're making more room for the things that bring you joy both today and in the future. So we're okay. going to be talking about those budgeting principles for how to whack back the fringe of your budget. Okay. Oh, man, that's such a great context because, of course, you get worried right away. Stop spending money, but put this in the right perspective. So we know the things that are bringing us joy because we've done some of those exercises about, oh, man, there's no way I'm cutting dining out or my, my running clothes bring me so much joy having that new gear. I'm not going to cut on those things. So that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the things that aren't bringing you as much joy. Here's some tips and tricks and ideas, strategies for cutting back on the things in your budget that don't bring you as much joy. So where do we get started? So I think a good place to always start is to just start with the things that you already own because all of us have a wealth, just a wealth of tangible assets, a wealth of services, of things that are at our disposal that we discount it a lot of times. We look at our bank account and we think that's how much I have, but your house probably has thousands of things that are super, super valuable that you could use, that you could be using more than you are using now. And so let's just start there with the, we should presume 
that we have the thing to solve our problem. So if you're like, I know we mm. talked about kitchen gadgets a lot in some of our previous ones, kitchen gadgets, it's super fun to get a new one, but maybe you have something already in your house that solves and meets that need sufficiently. And if you're not a professional chef who's cooking and peeling every day with that kitchen at the core of your budget or something like that, maybe cutting back on your kitchen budget spending there and using the things that you already have is going to be a great way to produce more value for you. So I like to say the best one's the one you already own. So if you already have something, use that until you're proven wrong and you're like, actually, this doesn't work at all. Use it. Use that one and see if it satisfies the need or the want that you have. Oh my gosh, that's a great strategy. When you first started talking about the stuff you already own, my head went to a different strategy because I'm getting the dumpster next weekend and throwing out like all the stuff I already own that I'm not using. But that's not this. That's not this. <laughs> but this little hacker tip. This one was finding as I search through those things that I'm going to be putting in the dumpster. It's going to be oh, I might be able to use this. I was thinking about purchasing this other item. Wait, I already have one of those. So looking around and especially, I love what you said. Especially in the things that don't bring you a ton of joy, like. A cooking utensil, unless you're you know, a professional chef or amateur, you just love all that cooking. So you get the, the latest knives to really help out, which is right. great. Otherwise, you're like, I already own a spatula. Do I really need this other one? It just goes back to our episode about clicking buy. I'm the impulse. Oh, yeah, this spatula looks awesome. I'm totally buying it. It's only $11. Wait, I already own my spatulas. Why do I need another one? So using what you already have around the house is a great idea. And the same principle can be applied to things that are more consumable. You think about every week maybe or every month or whatever, you go to the grocery store, you stock up, you get a whole bunch of stuff for your fridge and kind of at the end of that period, you've got some old spinach left over and there's a cucumber that's half cut and what are you gonna do with it all? And when you have a waste nothing mentality and the mentality that the best one is the one that you own, it can help you then stretch things that you otherwise would have thrown away. And so what are you gonna do with that old spinach and that old cucumber? Do you have the stuff to make a salad? Maybe it's an odd salad. In our house, we call salads that are a mixture of a whole bunch of random things a kitchen sink salad. The idea is like you mm -hmm. put in everything in the kitchen sink. So we call them kitchen sink salads. And on our last day, we've, we often will have a kitchen sink salad for lunch or for dinner. That's right. just a hodgepodge. And sometimes it all really works together. And you find out, man, like ham and oranges are actually surprisingly <laughs> tasty on a salad together. And sometimes right. it doesn't work as well. And I'm going to eat around those olives because they don't really match the yeah. flavor of all of the rest of the salad or whatever. But that kind of using it until the very, very end. In my family, we have a family story. This is my memory of the family story. So if you talk to someone else, maybe they'll remember it slightly differently. But my memory of the family story is that we were out at a barbecue restaurant and my dad was eating the last of his ribs off of the bone. And he was, was sucking the barbecue sauce off because it was so good. He wasn't going to waste a drop. And my brother was like, dad, what are you doing? Super mocking. And my dad said, I'm sucking out the last drop of fun. And that phrase of sucking out the last drop of fun or stretching it until its end, that became my family phrase. And we really have that waste nothing mentality of there's probably more joy in this. Um, and yeah. if you just have that bias of there's probably more joy in this, I can probably get something else really valuable, then you will 
inevitably not have to buy as much stuff because there's something else that you can do with this thing. And when you just challenge yourself of what is the thing I can do with this, then everything that has something that you can do with it, you'll find out what it is. Yeah. I love the, the mentality of sucking out all the fun, seeing if there's one last use. Just having that mentality across the board. So as you're looking at things, is there one last use or one more use for this? Is a great idea. But then I'm thinking, Megan, how do you respond to like hoarding stuff? Because I could imagine, right? I'm going through looking for stuff to put in the dumpster. Oh, there could be a use for this. I'll save it. It could be used for And then my basement is like full again of stuff I might use in the future. Right. So how do you balance that? So there are a couple of things here. One is that maybe, maybe you're not the one who's going to use it. And so if you're willing, things like eBay or used on Amazon are ways you can turn stuff that this has more use in it back into money for your budget. Mm. And so my dad is really big on eBay. He's our official family eBay lister. And so anytime we have something that we're like, I feel like there's more joy in this, but it's not for me. We'll see if he can list it on eBay and turn it into money, more money for the family. And that's a really neat pipeline of, I want to get this out of my house, but there's more joy in it. If it's not something that you can sell on your e on eBay or you're not super inclined to, another thing that you can do is almost every town has a buy nothing group. And um, giving away things in a buy nothing group, you, you post, oh, I've got this, like I one thing I just gave away was an old bike helmet that doesn't fit anymore. You can't resell bike helmets, but it's perfectly fine bike helmet that's never been in a crash. And so I posted it on the Buy Nothing group and gave it away to somebody else who picked it up from my house, who's now loving the kid's bike helmet. And by uh, giving away in a Buy Nothing group, you definitely gain connections with other people who then when later you want to say, hey, I'm in search of this thing. Can you help me find it? Like I'm in search of this really obscure garden tool and I'd like to borrow it. You've given away a bunch of stuff in the group. And so they're more inclined to help you find that garden tool or find that obscure thing that you need. And yeah. so the buy nothing group is another way that if it's not for you, but it could be for someone, you can still turn it into more value in your life. And those buy yeah, nothing groups are hyper local. So you tend to also get friends out of it. Yeah, we have something similar here. We use a social media called Nextdoor and next, and that's pretty big in our area. And so there's lots of different ones, but the same idea, you can post for free. You haven't convinced me to get rid of my dumpster yet, although you're thinking, <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be some stuff that could have a, a second use. But I always find, you speaking of the eBay and kind of selling things, oh, there's this trade-off in time and money. And a lot right. of these items don't have a lot of value left, at least in terms of monetary value. I hate them going to the landfill, of course. I want them to be reused, but I'm going to spend however many minutes listing photos and listing and packaging and sending. And it's like for a $10, even 20 or even $50 item with all the fees and stuff. So I sometimes I get a little bit jaded with the, with selling it, but the, that's why I do like these local groups, Craigslist, Nextdoor, local. There's been a lot of them over the last decade or two. Uh, where because it's so much faster, just a photo, just list it free, come pick it up, I'll leave right. it out on the fence or whatever. And so it's a great way of getting a reuse out of items. I will say that on eBay, you never know what's going to sell. And so my dad has listed things that we got for free. We've saved them for years and he's now listed them and they've sold. And so it's random things like he went to Stanford, he got a free like pamphlet at Stanford that he saved as like a memento for a bunch of years. And then he was like, 
I don't really need this anymore, but I don't want to throw it away because it's a pamphlet memento. And so he listed it. It sold for some small amount of money, but still like it's a small amount of money. Once you get in the rhythm of it, the like amount of effort of eBay listing isn't it's not as high. It can be a lot more like a buy nothing. Just snap a photo, put it up, see if it sells. I agree. You know? And it also, it depends on what resonates with you, right? That wasn't resonating mm-hmm. with me. I didn't enjoy that time. Right. It was just a, a hassle. But there are so many people that, it sounds like right. your dad too, just yeah. love like, oh, the adventure of like listing yeah. things, seeing what sells. It doesn't matter if it's pennies or dollars. It's just yeah. like a fun activity. You can um, do the same thing on uh, like Facebook Marketplace and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, we've been using that Facebook, a good point, Facebook Marketplace. We've used that a lot for some free items as yeah. well, even, which right. has been great for uh, searching for a few things that I need to add to my house rather than get rid of. That's why I need to get rid of more things. <laughs> the last thing on the hoarding is if you have things that you're like, this might be useful, but I don't know if I'm going to use it. If you give yourself like a designated box, but this is the box mm. of things that if I don't get it out of here, they're going to go away and they're not going to be in my house anymore. But if I come and I fish it out, then we'll keep it because it must be useful. So there's a little bit of the like, if it actually is useful, it will prove itself to be useful. And so just picking it up and thinking about it and being like this jar, I'm always saving like interesting jars, like this Mm -hmm. jar could be really useful for this particular purpose, but I don't know if I'm actually going to do that. And so then I'll put it in my box. And when the time comes to check my box, if the jar's still in there, it must not have been useful because I didn't come get it out of the box. That reminds <laughs> me of your like, wait a week in for the purchasing side. Right. I'm having that list and saying, oh, I really want this thing. Let me put it in the list and wait a week. And if I still want it, I'll come back. It's the opposite of that. Right, put it in the box. Yeah. And for me, I'm just thinking through Megan in my house. If anything, and it's, there's stuff all over my house I haven't even looked at in a year. And so if I took the time to put it in a box, there's no chance I'm getting it out of that box. <laughs> that box disappeared on the back corner somewhere. It's true. Every about once a year, it's like, oh, didn't we have one of these items somewhere in this house? And oh, there's no chance I can find it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. T- doing a home inventory for your insurance purposes is a good idea. But I've used my home inventory more for just locating items in my house than anything else. Where is that? Do I still own it? I actually have a list of things I've given away to in my home inventory just to keep track of like, I did oh have gosh. that. I'm not crazy, but it's <laughs> not awesome. here anymore. <laughs> I can prove there was here. Here's a picture. We did yeah. have this thing. See? Yeah. Um, so again, we're talking about the things on the fringe. We're not using them all the time. They're not core. We may not get a lot of value out of them. Don't waste anything. Look around your house. See what's there that you could reuse for that purpose. Oh, I got too many books. They're sitting on the floor. I need a bookcase. Hey, maybe there's a piece of furniture kicking around the house that you could reuse or some kind of stackable box or whatever. So reuse things. Don't waste stuff. What else are other good tips for being able to spend less, reuse what we have, or spend less money on things that we might want? So related to the wasting nothing, figuring out more joy, there's also taking care of the stuff that you actually own. Stuff happens, you end up with it, like stuff's on the floor. I know kids' toys end up on the floor a lot, but when they're on the floor, they might get stepped on, they might get broken, they might get vacuumed. We're putting all that value of all of that joy on the line, effectively, when we put it in harm's way or when we don't take care of it. And so... You can extend the life of your possessions by taking care of them. And as a result, you can extend the value and you can lessen the amount that you have to actually buy new things. 
So that it's a mindset, again, just like the waste nothing is a mindset, taking care of your things is a mindset. And I think what we were talking about before with the what if you just have too much stuff, it goes hand in hand with this take care of your things. If you do have too much stuff such that you can't take care of them all, you will end up breaking them, not being able to repair them, not being able to extend the life. And there is a sense in which decluttering and actually paring it down to the things that are just Mm. your joy will help you extend the life of those things. Because if you have so many toys that you can't even fit them all in your toy chest, suddenly you're going to be leaving them on the floor and they're going to be broken. But if you just could fit them all in your toy chest, it would be easier to take care of them and you actually would be able to enjoy them for longer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love how that goes in hand, having the right amount of things such that you can take care of them properly. And so it's also a good marker for maybe you have a little too many things, too many toys that don't fit in the toy chest. I'm thinking I've got so many games. We love to play games as a family. I've got like stacks and stacks of games. Now, they, they luckily, they're nicely organized. Like all the pieces are mostly back in the boxes. But it's still that idea of, geez, we don't even play them, you know, that often we could get rid of some of those, recycle them to other families and then get new games you know, coming in that we could enjoy. I'm so glad that you used that example because games are at the core of my budget. And I probably have an entire two bookcases filled of board games. And so hearing, oh, we could pass on games, to me, I'm like, we could not pass on (laughs) games. Like, we need to keep the space. And so I'm really glad you used that as an example because it's it's such a good view of if it's at your core... You, you have to protect it. Don't tear yep. it down if it's at your core. But if it's not at your core, make room. You got to make room for your running stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't have running stuff I'm buying all the time. I would totally pass on taking care of that. But you do. And you need to make room for it in your life, in your budget, in your wealth. Yeah, it's funny. That's so great. We also love gaming. It is in my core, but I just have so many games that I haven't played them in like two years where the kids have gotten older or whatever. And it's like, all right, we could probably, I mean, my shelves are overflowing back to the toy box example. It's like, Mm -hmm. all right, I've designated a number of shelves and we're using more than that now. So maybe we got to do a little pairing down, but not the ones we've played within the last year. Now, here's a question for you because taking care of stuff, it just really resonated with me because I've incorporated that pretty well in terms of some of the things that I have. I did a lot of woodworking in the past. So getting used to like taking care of my tools, taking care of the workshop, like making sure everything I know where it is just brought me, A, it brought me a lot of joy, but also made my life more efficient in -hmm. the workshop. The tools would run, they were sharp, ready to go anywhere they were. I wasn't spending time looking for them. So that's translated into a lot of other things in my life. If I have something, I do like to take care of it because I want to know exactly where it is. I hate looking for things and I want it to be ready to go. So I try to get things put back away. My running gear is all in a box, all in one place. So if I'm looking for my vest or my hat or my glasses or a belt or whatever, it's all like in one spot. But what I'm having trouble doing, Megan, is teaching my kids how to take care of their things. Their stuff is like everywhere and it's left outside in the rain and gets rusted and it's like all over the floor and gets stepped on. So are there any strategies? You got a kid as well. What strategies are you using to try to teach how to take care of your things? I will say I think it's very hard for kids who come from families of means to learn to take care of their things because they have Mm. a mentality of I can always get another one. Mm. Um, 
which is, I think, really a challenge to overcome. When you're a kid who grows up in a family that doesn't have very much, you can't get another one. So you're going to protect it. If your ball mm-hmm. breaks, that was the ball and the ball is gone. But when you're in a family of means, you might have three or four of them. Mm-hmm. already even before one breaks you already had four and so when one breaks you're like no big deal it's not my money i didn't buy that ball like i'm not out anything mm-hmm. whereas the parents are the ones who are feeling all of the pain of right. the ball breaking and so i do think it is really a challenge in my family i'm all about natural consequences and so if something breaks it's broken we don't have that we have to repair it you know we need she should hopefully participate in the repair process if she can so that she knows the effort that goes into fixing something when it's broken. So I think there's a little bit of that. In my family, we also have the, like, we're we're not going to do something fun until we clean up the thing we finished. And so there's a little bit of the, we're just, you have to, mm. you just have to do it. When she's playing with me, she doesn't really have the alternative. If If I'm going around cleaning up all the stuff, she's got to come clean up with me. It almost gets more challenging, though. I know you have older kids. It gets more challenging with older kids because you're not playing with them. They're just leaving their stuff around the house. It's You're not there with them actively playing dolls. It's not a doll game that's going on here. There's just stuff all over. So I'm not sure how much I can speak to the older kid because I haven't gotten there yet. But I definitely think the kids of means have a harder time learning to take care of their stuff because yeah. unless they have that buy-in where they're like i have to buy the replacement it's coming from my money i'm going to be making that decision or something like that unless they feel the scarcity that an adult would feel i don't know that there's a super great way to motivate them yeah i'm so glad that you said that and i hadn't thought about that before and it just resonated exactly with me because and especially your example on the balls yeah we have four soccer balls so of course they don't care and they're not the ones that bought it anyway and so me harping on them to your stuff away that's why it's not hitting home oh the other thing i was going to say is just having one item if we had one soccer ball then it's taking up less space. We know where it is. Like, where's the soccer ball? <laughs> right. There's only one of them. You got to keep track of it. So it takes up less space and you'll keep track of it and you will take care of it. So I have found that multiple times, like paring down to one thing. Look, we don't need three. Just have one. Know where it is and keep track of it. Right. The other thing is getting the buy-in for the kids. Now you have one child. I've got three children. So already I'm at a way disadvantage. And so that's a challenge. But I love the way you said, get them to buy in. And I've done that as well, where, look, I'll buy you the first one and we'll use it. But if it gets broken or something, then you're pitching in for the next one. I'll help you. Depending on what it is, maybe we'll go halvesies, but get them to buy in. And there's going to be some pain. I like the way you put that, some pain. And and learn that here in the nice household Mm -hmm. uh, versus when they're out in the real world. Right. And as much as possible, I think getting them involved in the repair process too can help because if you do repairs, if it's something you can repair, Mm -hmm. if the printer breaks, I can't repair printers. We have a toy hospital in our house. It's a little spot. We put toys that have broken and then we super glue them back together normally or like plastic cement or something like that. But just learning the process of here's what it takes to bring your toy back. So that yeah. there's some sense of, oh, if my stuffed animal breaks open, somebody has to hand sew it closed again. And right. just knowing the effort that goes in, even if they're not the one necessarily doing it, I think can yeah. be really helpful. Oh, I think that's amazing. Gets your kids involved in that process, learning repairs, learning tools, right. spending their time doing that. You get the time with your child as well doing right. it. And then you're taking care of that thing and you're not buying. Right. So man, sitting on like all, you know, four or yeah. five different points there, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So I love the repair shop as well. Yeah. That great. Little toy hospital. 
toy hospital. All right. So we've got quite a few things. Are there any other items that you wanted to hit on today in terms of saving around the edges, things that aren't in your core? Yes. Another thing that I wanted to point out on the like taking care of your things kind of topic is that sometimes there's something that is frequently wearing out. You're constantly Mm -hmm. having to buy another one. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. what is happening? Why is this breaking? And so anytime that I'm buying a replacement of something, I like to have a little moment when I think about what has happened that's brought me to the point of buying another one. Mm -hmm. If it's that spatula that's broken, what did I do to this spatula to break? Was it not high enough quality? Was it, did I use it in an inappropriate way? And I try to think about when I'm getting a replacement, what's a feature that I could get? that would mean that I wouldn't have to buy another one. And so maybe it's, well, I used this spatula and I used it in a heat environment and it wasn't supposed to be in a heat environment and that I Mm -hmm. melted it. Okay, next time I need to not be so cheapskate and buy this spatula that's not heat resistant. I need to get the heat resistant one. And maybe it costs a little bit more, but I'm making a lifelong commitment to a spatula. I'm going to see it to the end of its days because I have a waste nothing mentality and I'm going to take care of it. So I, I should spend three extra dollars today so that I can have this spatula for decades. Um, so in my own life, an example of this is I have nighttime headphones that I wear that I can listen to podcasts mm. and things mm-hmm. like that while I'm falling asleep. And uh, I bought a pair and they broke like within a year. And I was like, what did I, you know, and I had to do some troubleshooting to figure out you know, what kind of headphone cord do I need to be able to lie on my side with headphones in and not Mm. break them. Um, And after I troubleshooted, I found a headphone pair that where the cord, which is the thing that breaks most frequently, it can be removed. You can plug in a new cord. So now I've got really nice headphones and I've got a cord that costs like $7. And if the cord does break, which it hasn't yet, but if it does break, I can just unplug it and get another one and plug a new one in and keep going. And I've saved most of the value of the headphones. And so it's those kinds of examples where it's like, it's breaking a lot. Why? Don't just buy another one. Let's figure out how we can spend less money on its replacement. Right. Oh, yeah. I like that. Especially as things get broken or ruined in some way, what is it that you can try to avoid that next time? And it might be happenstance or whatever, but maybe there are certain features. But as you were talking, I was thinking about, for me, the things I keep replacing in my running shoes. And I don't think there's a lot I could do about that. Then I was like, oh, no, that's in my core. I love going out there. So I'm going to buy the running shoes, wear them for as much as I can and extend them a little bit longer and then know that I'm going to have to buy another one. And I'm not, again, getting back to our earlier episodes, I'm not going to compromise on that because it brings me so much joy. So there's one tip on running shoes. You may already know this, but if you have two pairs of running shoes and you switch which one you wear each day, giving the shoes a day to air out actually extends their life. And so two shoes will each last longer if you're using them at the same time alternating Then if you use them sequentially, like one shoe, and then when it breaks, you get another one. Because having that day of airing out actually helps extend the life of your shoe. Good tip. Unfortunately, I'm running way too often. I already have at least two or three pairs of shoes that I need to rotate (laughs) because my training, right? If I'm doing training for some race, I'll wear out a pair of shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And then I don't want new shoes right before the race. So already cycling at least two or three pairs of shoes. But I hadn't heard that, that the cushioning and stuff will probably spring back and then it'll last longer. So great tip. I do have a funny story too. A friend was going out to buy some running or was out buying things, saw some running shorts. I need some running shorts. So she picked them up, listened to our episode, 
about similar what we're talking today wait a week do you already have something she's like, wait, i already have running shorts she actually went back and took them back to the store and returned them. <laughs> so there you go <laughs> practical implementation of some of the things that we're talking about that's awesome so are there any other items that you wanted to make sure we covered today megan another one here is that sometimes shopping is a it's a group experience you're gonna go out you're buying something all together or maybe you're shopping as a family for a particular item and the people that you're shopping with or that you're talking about your shopping with will greatly affect how much money you spend. And so if you're surrounded by a lot of really spendy friends, you'll be more inclined to spend more money. Whereas if you're surrounded by a lot of frugal friends mm -hmm. who are all helping you, who are all like, why did you get that? Do you need running shorts? Then you'll be more inclined to be frugal. And so that kind of spending money is really contagious is the way I would say it. Spending money is contagious. And so it's important to get your family on board and also have them having the mentality of wasting nothing, take caring of your things, only using just enough, all those kinds of thrift mentality. And also the like, wait a week. If you're sitting around waiting a week and your spouse is like buying things right and left, it's going to feel really lame and really bad. And so mm -hmm. figuring out the system that you can implement as a group will really help ensure success there. Yeah. And same thing for if you're regularly shopping with friends or if you're talking about your shopping with your friends, talk about this with your friends too. Talk about the podcast that you listen to and the lessons that you learned. And even if you don't implement everything, any one of these things will help you save money, will help you achieve your goals. Oh my gosh. 100%. As with most things, you already know with our partner, we got to be on the same page. Otherwise, right. it's going to fall flat. So as you're listening to these episodes, I'm sure a couple of things resonated with you today. Oh, yeah, I do that thing. Or, oh, I can do this. Yeah, bring it up. You talk about it. Be on the same page. And the other thing, to broaden the perspective, you said you know, with your friends, if they're more frugal, then you'll naturally be that way. More spendy, you'll naturally be that way. Remember that you are the average of your five closest friends. Oh, interesting. So pick your friends wisely and not just your friends. Sometimes we can't fire our friends or fire our family. I get that. But you can decide how much time you want to be spending with each of your friends and family and how much mental energy and attention you will give to each of those people. And I have a concrete example, too. I've mentioned running a few times. I have some friends that are unbelievably fantastic athletes. And I can never be as athletic as they are, but I spend time around them to encourage myself, oh, I always have something to look up to or look forward to or to be an average of, right? If I'm spending time around people that are super athletic, I'm naturally going to want to spend more time being healthy and doing those things. If you want to eat healthier or you want to move towards being a vegetarian or something like that, if you find friends that are doing that, you're on that journey together, you will naturally do it. It will fit in. This is why you're the product of those five people that you're closest with. So on the spending front, I love that. Get aligned with people that are speaking the way that you want to be behaving and having those conversations and you will naturally be able to do that and feel really great about it. Yeah, that's great. Make it a team effort. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Megan, thank you so much for all the tips and strategies today. We hit on four or five different ones. Be in the show notes, there'll be in articles, so you can find all this stuff and review it, get more detailed information, and appreciate everything today. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn 
or mortonfinancialadvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at financialplanningpod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.